Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, um, <clears throat> the last... The last... Um, few weeks, we've been looking at investigation. Last week, I talked about curiosity, <clears throat> and I suggested that maybe you hang out with that a little bit more, bring some curiosity to your day and your practice, and this week, to see what things come up as you deal with life's ups and downs, and deal with life. Uh, first, I'm just wondering how many people played around with curiosity investigation this week. Just show show of hands, just a few. Okay. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I did. <clears throat> Actually, in order to get a a talk every week, I've got to. So it's uh, <laughs> it's something that's my regular practice as, as it comes along to Monday and Tuesday and thinking, what am I going to talk about? Uh, I just pay a little bit closer attention. Uh, also, it's a fun exercise just to start looking more deeply at stuff that we're encountering every day. It's like a... Um, it's a feeling of dropping in from another planet, you know, and just seeing what this one's about, you know. Oh, what is anger, for instance, which we did a few, a month or so ago. What's fear, or what's love, or what's this frustration, or um, whatever it is. Just a few moments of starting to explore leads to some some new take on things that we've been in touch with all our lives. And often, as I start to look at, at things, there's common themes or uh, situations that emerge that generally uh, call my attention. It just seems to work that way. It's You know, like when you hear a new word when you were a kid and you heard a new word, somebody explained to you a new word, and then all of a sudden... You heard it everywhere. It's like nobody ever used that word before, but now you're hearing it everywhere. It's kind of like that as you start to put your radar out. Uh, so what came up in these last few days in a few different situations that I'd like to talk a little bit about tonight um, and then perhaps open the discussion to that topic or in general investigation um, but what, what's been coming up for me is um, investigating the power of truth. And I'll give you a, a couple of situations that brought this up. One very uh, dramatically uh, in the last, uh, last day or so. Actually, it was, it was last night. <clears throat> it was with my son, who also is one of my best teachers, who was, um, we were sitting at the table, and he was kind of in a grumpy mood, and I didn't know quite what was going on, neither did 
adopted my wife Jane, when all of a sudden um, he he just didn't want to eat, and he went to his room. Finally, he he wanted to tell my mother, my my mother, his mother, <laughs> not my mother. He wanted to tell him. Well, you can play around with that as much as you want. Yeah. <laughs> I was imagining myself back as a six as a six year old. That's what that's what just happened, you know, and and uh, having going through what he's going through. Anyway, he wanted to tell uh, Jane about what was going on, and I heard this crying and this wailing, and then finally he came out, and, uh, and then she said, "Do you want to tell Dad too?" He said, "Okay." And what happened was something that happened during the day where he he was engaged in a conversation with one of the teachers from the school, not his teacher, but one of the older grades teachers. He's in kindergarten in the school that goes up to sixth grade. And he was really enjoying this conversation and she asked him, um, oh, what grade are you in? And he said, second grade. <laughs> That's what came out of his mouth. <laughs> now the thing is, he's a pretty tall guy, and so he, he's quite a tall uh, guy, and so it was pro quite believable. Don't know what the teacher, you know, if she knew who he was or um, believed him or not, but he said, I said, I was in the second grade. And it turned out that he wanted, as he explored a bit more, wanted to feel older. He's really, he prides himself in, on him being, what is he now? He was six and a third for a while, you know, now he's almost six and a half, and he wants to get up there. <clears throat> and he was so miserable about it. He has, as a lot of kids his age do, both a whole a great fantasy life and an incredible sense of fairness and with him he he goes sometimes even overboard you know and uh, and I try to encourage him to lighten up but he really likes to do things you know by the book and uh, this sense of of uprightness and this lie came out of his mouth and he was wailing. He said, I don't, what am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. And we talked about maybe the possibility of him going up to her and explaining to her. And no, he couldn't do that. And then, uh, you know, it was, it was too frightening. He, and he said, um, and in his wailing, he said, I'll never get over this feeling. I'm always going to feel this way. <laughs> He hasn't quite learned about impermanence just yet. <laughs> I'm always going to feel this way. And then he said, I, I wish I didn't go to my school. Maybe we should start another, sc uh, start another school, you know. Um, it was very, very heavy for him. You know, I, could, I could feel his pain. And I also could feel I was, I was in some sense happy that he, that he had this deep sense of ethics and integrity uh, that it would be so disturbing. And I kind of explained to him, you know, it's a good thing that, it, that it's bothering of you because, you know, if it didn't, then 
just go around telling untruths and, and, uh, and people wouldn't know when they could trust you. He didn't quite relate to, to that. You know, he was just still with the pain. And um, then I told him a story about when I was five or six. Uh, maybe I was seven, I don't know. In my mind, it's always been five or six. When I went to, um, I said I went down to the corner candy store where I, where I lived in New York one day. And there was this jar of licorice, red licorice. I didn't even like licorice um, on the counter. And I just decided to find out what it would be like to take something without paying for it. So I did. This is true. And I wasn't caught. I left the store, went back to my house. And I was so miserable all the way back. I just lived a half a block away. And I'm not sure whether it was my mother who asked me, or I told her, or I, I forget all the circumstances of just how it came out, but I told her that I had taken it. And I was asked to go back to that store. Uh, I think that was how it transpired. And give back the licorice to Bob. It was Bob's candy store. <laughs> and to this day, and I said, you know, that was like 40 years ago. I still remember it. I didn't tell him the part that for like 35 years after that, whenever I'd go into a bank or any kind of <laughs> establishment, I'd want to be so obvious, you know, that nobody could accuse me of stealing. <laughs> this is also true. But that those, those lessons you know, really have an impact on you. But it was, I could feel how pained he was because he didn't tell the truth. Um, so that was one incident. And two other incidents in the last uh, two or three days about misunderstandings, two separate situations where two people... Um, didn't get all the facts straight, and there was tremendous anger, uh, both of which I ended up being the um, uh, mediator for. I was asked to be the mediator. Um, and how when the, uh, working out the feelings, after a while, when the facts were clarified, there was this sense of, of ease that resulted was very striking. How quickly, you know, when you've got something going on, your interpretation of reality, it can be so painful and so contracted and so hateful. And, and when you hear the truth, when it, when it becomes understood, either the facts or what the other person's reality of the facts are, there's this sense of ease. So that's why this theme of, of truth has come up with for me. And I wanted to investigate, I, I, I have been investigating, what is so good about the truth? Why does it feel so good? 
we talk about the truth all the time as being kind of like the cornerstone of spiritual practice or religion, the four noble truths, the noble truths, they're noble. Or um, uh, the, the valuing of, of honesty, of trustworthiness. Sometimes we think it's the only thing that we really have is um, people's trust in us. At times I've felt like that. Uh, or that's our, that's our most precious commodity. Why does the truth feel so good? Why does untruth feel so painful? Well, just think for a moment on that. I mean, this is, it's like trying to dissect a word that you're so familiar with, trying to dissect your name, you know. You're so familiar with it, but just as you start to get a sense of it, why does it feel so good? Just reflect inside for a moment. And as well, what's, what is so hurtful or painful when there's untruth? Maybe you can uh, share what you've come up with uh, after I finish talking. But some things that came to me is uh, are that truth seems to be uh, a an expression of the natural order of things. That there is. Things aren't happening randomly as much as they might appear to be. There is this whole incredible interweaving and interconnected balance. And when anything is thrown out of that balance, biologically, biospherically, um, in your body, when things are out of balance of this very delicate order, there's a disharmony and there's there's, there's pain. And so harmony, to some extent, is that that feeling of um, that natural order. And truth seems to, to me, anyway, seems to be um, an expression of that harmony, of that weaving together. Actually, as I think about it, the word dharma sometimes is translated as truth. Sometimes it's translated as the natural unfolding of things. Uh, I hadn't actually thought about this. This is just on my on my cushion. I'm thinking right now, uh, but it's it's quite interesting how there's this movement towards harmony. Life is so unpredictable as it is, with impermanence. You know, just to to get some sense of order in our life, this is a place of refuge. This is a place where we can at least have some predictability, even with the impermanence, when we can take refuge in truth. There's a certain kind of reliability in this very unreliable, changing, passing show that we come to trust when we think of, uh, when we think of truth. And it's, 
It's in us so deeply, it is part of our repertoire, this movement towards truth. Uh, I, I talked a few months ago about these qualities when we were talking about guilt. And Judith had, had asked uh, uh, me to talk about guilt and talked about the Buddhist psychological mental factors of moral shame and moral dread, hiri otupan, that there is this deep-seated sense of conscience, if you will, that's our word for it, when things are out of line, gets triggered and we feel a little bit um, off kilter. It's like the universe has, ex has expressed all its natural laws through us too, and that's part of our repertoire. And yet, given how good it feels, we have such a challenging time with it. This is, as probably all of you know, tax season. And uh, this, is the, this is where it really comes up, where you see what kind of moral fiber you're made of. Um, um, I must say, it's, uh, uh, this year is uh, probably a lot easier for, for me to, uh, to do taxes than in, in recent times. Just, um, just a little, little plug for supporting what what we're doing, uh, what's being done with our, our money. Um, anyway, tax season or the way the ways we stretch or justify or rationalize, you know, the little white lies that don't seem to harm anybody. Even those, there's a little price to pay. Or when we exaggerate it's amazing if you're, I think, like many people, uh, you just get into, you can easily get into this stretching things a little bit. If somebody asks how long you've been meditating for, you know, often the years just seem to fly by. You know, you know. Oh, you know, seven or eight years, you know, you know when it's... You know, maybe a little bit shorter than that. Or, gee, what's the longest you ever sat on the cushion? You know? Oh, there was one time when I... <laughs> or whatever it is that, that you might have a tendency to stretch. What is that about? Image. Is there a sense that maybe we're not enough as we are, and so we just kind of puff ourselves up a little bit more to be a bit more worthy? And yet, there's... A consequence for that. You think there's a payoff, and yet there's a consequence. In fact, your words carry a lot less power when you stretch, even if the other person doesn't know it. You know it inside. And sometimes when they find out, well, that really um, cuts at your credibility. One um, great example of the understatement is uh, Joseph Goldstein, who's been my main teacher. And the th it's so impressive how, uh, how, how understating he is of things. You, know? you, you can tell when somebody's kind of not puffing themselves up, whether it's about themselves or about, or about um, activities, uh, about situations. And I remember when, he, when I first started to teach, 
and I was talking with him about it, and he, uh, he had two pieces of advice, uh, I might have shared this in here before, that are about this, just what I'm talking about. Two things he said, don't be afraid to say you don't know when you don't know. It's very helpful advice. And the other one was, uh, don't be afraid to be a moron every now and then. He had said that he'd been perfecting it for some time. It's really a good practice. And what that does is it keeps you from trying to puff yourself up or make yourself out to be more than you are. There, there is an understating in there of just being unpretentious and, and natural. And it's hard. As obvious as this all might be, it's still hard. Honesty is really the foundation of the practice. This is the one quality through the Buddha's journey of countless lifetimes from the moment that he decided to, um, to devote his life, to devote his, his evolution to becoming a fully enlightened Buddha. Honesty through countless hundreds of thousands of lifetimes was the one trait that he looked back when he was teaching and said, this is the one thing that, that I stayed with. You know, sometimes he killed, sometimes he was a robber, sometimes he was all sorts of things, but he was honest. Okay. That's pretty far out for hundreds of thousands of lifetimes. And sila, or conduct, integrity, is really the foundation of the practice of mindfulness and development of wisdom. Because when we are not honest, there is a kind of um, restlessness that makes it very hard to settle down and, and see clearly. The practice really starts with honesty. The formal meditation practice, it's a practice in honesty, being honest with ourselves and with our own experience. It's hard to get so quiet to really hear what your truth is. And so this takes a lot of practice and training, just to quiet down, to notice what the actuality of this moment brings. It's a moment-by-moment encounter with the truth, the truth of this present situation. What's really happening right now? What's happening in my body? What's happening as I'm breathing? What's happening in my heart? What's happening in this environment? Ah, and it's, it's kind of a an ongoing reporting of the truth as you're experiencing it, subjective though it might be. And actually, what happens as you try to be honest in this way with the meditation, with your practice, is that you start seeing how dishonest you might be with yourself. It can be mortifying how much you've been deceiving yourself or distracting yourself or how our actions are out of sync with our beliefs. It's this paradox and it's very humbling, you know, as you try to pay attention and do it in as honest and truthful a way, you see all the ways that you're out of alignment with your truth. 
And that humbling quality, it, it, it makes us choose. You know, we can choose either to pretend we don't see and not want to take a look and maybe you know, not want to meditate for a half a year or not want to, uh, to explore these, um, these ideas and just distract ourselves. Or for, uh, for, some, for others or at another time in our own life, uh, you might decide, okay, this is the time to just go through it just to really see all the ways that I might be fooling myself. And that's, that's a really challenging choice to say, okay, whatever comes up, I'll be with, even if it's dishonesty and self-deception and um, these humbling acts. You're all familiar with Gandhi and his, his great biography called Experiments, Experiments in Truth. It is experiment my experiment with truth. That was his lifetime practice, living the truth. And he said that the hardest person to be honest with is himself. It's not unusual. That's how it works. On one retreat, I've mentioned this before, one meta retreat. We are practicing loving kindness uh, for, for 10 days, just repeating again and again, may all beings be happy, may all beings be peaceful, may I be filled with love. I started seeing all the grotesque acts that I've ever done in my life, just one after another. I couldn't believe it. You know, I, like Adam saying, I'll never, I'll never get over this feeling. You know, I thought I had well finished with all of those things and they just came up oh no I can't believe that one. Oh gosh I can't believe I did that and at one point I just decided to list the top 20 worst acts of my life and <laughs> licorice didn't even make it no it wasn't even it was not close no fortunately I I came uh, for me fortunately I could only come up with 16 of the caliber that I was l dealing with, you know, I mean, this is really, really intensely uh, bad. Um, and yet we like to think, you know, oh, we're spiritual and we're honest and we act with integrity. It's all in there. On one other course, uh, one, one three-month course that I did with my wife, we, we sat one three-month course together. 1981. It was. Uh, I had done a few before that, uh, but it was. It was really powerful and interesting. Uh, sitting to uh, sitting at the same retreat, we had no contact. We did write a couple of notes because there were some plans that had to be arranged at, towards the end of the retreat. But other than those essential notes, no contact, except one day. One word was spoken. And this is what happened. This is kind of referring to uh, this topic. I was going, when I slow down, I like to slow down. I was going really slowly, and I had to go to the bathroom really badly. <clears throat> and I was on the, f on the main floor, out by the, the dining room area, where there was a woman's bathroom. And on the second floor, kind of, it seemed like miles away to me, was the men's bathroom. 
right? And there was nobody around. <laughs> the thought of going all the way up and going going back to the uh, to the sitting hall just seemed it seemed like a marathon. So I decided to go into the women's bathroom. What's the big deal? I went in, peed, and came out. And who is there to see me coming out of the women's bathroom? But my wife, Jane. <laughs> and the one word in the whole retreat, she looked at me and she said, sneaky. <laughs> and that was the one word that I heard reverberating in me for three months. <laughs> Here I was trying to be so spiritual and act with integrity. Sneaky, sneaky. And and it's a word that I used to think a lot about when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, I really am sneaky. Because you know? I kind of had the same propensity that, that Adam did. <clears throat> so this honest investigation, besides honesty, it seems to be an essential ingredient, two essential ingredients, compassion. Because we're not saints. Compassion at how deep the conditioning is towards either self-deception or deceiving the world or wanting to feel approved and acting, uh, acting strangely in the process. Compassion and forgiveness for the times that you do blow it. The power of forgiveness is that in a moment the slate is clean. That it's never too late Never, never too late to start over. The thing is, you can't plan to start over while you're in the middle of the unskillful act. You know, oh, I'll just do this one and then forgive myself. You know, it's not really the way it works. But, but if you are aware while you're in the middle of the act to do it with as much mindfulness as possible, this at least brings consciousness to the experience. And you might find yourself right in the middle of that act again, because habits are so hard to break. This is the power of confession, too. You know, that uh, the Catholics have something there. There's something very, very powerful about feeling accepted and understood and, and taking the burden off of, off of your chest. And it's in Buddhism as well, for monks and nuns. Monks meet every um, two weeks and go through a confession with their peers to clean the slate. And you need that kind of absolution or forgiveness or compassion, whether it's from somebody outside or from, from yourself inside, in order to go on if you're taking an honest look. It was interesting, after Adam told us about his, what he had done, uh, we asked him, does it feel any better to tell us that you've told us? And he said, yeah, a little. Mm -hmm. Didn't quite do it, but it was in the right direction. We need acceptance because we all have our private lives. We all have personal secrets or habits. And if we can start to learn when our, our actions are merely eccentric, 
or when they're hurtful to ourselves or to others, um, then we can use the truth to our, um, to our benefit, not to beat us up, beat ourselves up, but to see what's truthful and what's useful. This is the same guideline for communication with others. When you take a look and you see, oh yeah, okay, this is part of what I'm doing these days. This is part of my habit. These are, these are part of my habit patterns. These are things that I would be a little bit shy to, to share with, with others or very embarrassed if other people know. Is there a place in that that we can accept and say, okay, and this is part of this human mind-body process doing its thing. And is it hurting somebody? If it is, then that's something to look at, to be really honest with that. Is it not hurting somebody? Or is it not hurting ourselves? Is there, is there a pain in our heart over the, the consequences of actions? Or is it something that we can learn to just open up to and accept and work with as an ongoing practice rather than trying to hide hide those parts of ourselves or pretend they're not there or um, be very um, self-condemning that, that, that we see those things inside. This truthful and useful, it's intrapersonal as well as interpersonal. And when we can listen to our hearts or our Buddha nature or whatever you call it, our higher wisdom, when we have access to that place of purity, that place, that divine spark that I talked about at the beginning, that movement towards harmony coming through us that knows, that really knows that we can trust. Um, It's like we get in touch with this clean feeling. There's this, this sense that all is forgiven in just a moment. And then we can really act with integrity in our life. There's a beautiful expression in the Buddhist um, teachings called the bliss of blamelessness. That clean feeling when you're not hiding something that, that perhaps... Uh, is causing pain or suffering to others or to yourself. We have that same expression uh, or a similar expression, virtue is its own reward. But the bliss of blamelessness really does it for me. You know, that, that openness, the expression, the truth will set you free, there's something to that because when we can we can allow the truth to be revealed, we're not expending energy in hiding, in contracting, in covering up, whether it's deceiving ourselves or deceiving others. And the truth is the release of that contracted energy. It's an opening, it's an ease. So the truth, there's a reason why it's noble. It is the laws of the universe coming through us. And it's quite extraordinary that we have the capacity to reflect on all of this, besides just living out our, 
our life and bodily functions and uh, uh, eating and, uh, and, and, and sleeping and doing all of these things, we can reflect on it and discover for ourselves not only the, the basic laws of the universe, but what's true in our hearts, what's true for us, which might be different from everybody else. This is the place that we discover what, what, what life is about, right in our own heart. To have that capacity is extraordinary. So this is what we're doing as we, we practice to keep cultivating that. Because the truth does set us free. So we can take some time if there's any questions or comments. Yeah. My name is Shapurnia Sat because um, today I'm, I've been out of work and today I was uh, working on my resume. Okay. And there's a job available this summer, uh, appears to be available, that I really, really, really want and it pays a lot off. And, um, there are two places in my resume that I really want to exaggerate. Um, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not going to do it either. Um, <laughs> I'm just watching that. Um, it's around it's saying I'm more experienced at doing something than I am, that I know that I can fake. Um, and I'm watching uh, the amount of anxiety that... Uh, is coming up for me around um, my rent being overdue, my car payment being overdue, and all of this stuff. That uh, that I'm starting to understand the relationship between uh, that if I think that if I felt in some contact with this sort of uh, harmonious activity of the universe. There would be a feeling of support mm-hmm. in which it would be a little bit easier to just let the cards fall where they may. Um, I'm still in a place of feeling that I'm the doer and I got to do it all. And if I don't do it, it isn't going to get done and something bad's going to happen to me. And. Um, I mean, I'm looking at this from a point of view of, um, I don't think anybody's going to be hurt by it, but I really, on some intellectual level, it's very dear to me, this whole concept of telling the truth and this thing about, you know, the flow of reality or the harmonious activity of the universe, and I kind of want to be a part of it, and I feel if I keep lying, I'm not going to get to be a part of it. But... Um, I feel very uh, different about um, fear, and uh, I fe- fear has been a major thing for me this year, so I'm really understanding so much more about how when you don't feel that support, mm-hmm. uh, it's like you got to do it yourself, and that may inc- or may not for any given person include um, doing these things like not telling the truth. Yeah, well, I, I would, 
I would say that not telling the truth is very closely connected with fear. And, you know, I, there's, I'm not wanting or intending to sit up here uh, as a pronouncement on how everybody should, should act in each situation. It's, it's, that's part of the beauty for us all to discover what's, what's our, what our practice calls for in any particular moment. Whatever you do, it becomes an exercise in consciousness, though just to see how it's, how you're affected by it. Yeah, I didn't feel like you were at all doing that. Yeah. I just was taking this opportunity to confess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and also, often when I say things, it's terrifying and it's mm-hmm. <coughs> Well, we love you, whatever happens. <laughs> <laughs> I feel... <laughs> You're hired. (laughs) I thought you said you're Hawaiian. (laughs) (laughs) We got it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin. I wanted to ask you was that the bathroom? In the library. <laughs> uh, no. Oh, good. oh no 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 no. I was no. afraid I was using the women's room the whole. Time. No 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 no. no. <laughs> he was on that retreat yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about all the crimes that I committed on that. <laughs> no 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 no. no. Um, I, the thing that came up for me um, that I'll talk about in public was that um, <laughs> this tendency. I, I was like the youngest of five, very aggressive, not very aggressive, but very uh, emotionally aggressive uh, brothers, um, and a very intelligent family, except for me. And um, they, that was sort of a joke, but anyway. <laughs> um, you know, I, I never wanted to admit that I didn't know something growing up, and so I learned this technique of like, just picking up enough information to be able to fake stuff and keep up with the conversation and kind of like know the name of such and such but really not have read the book or you know all that sort of thing mm-hmm. and I think when I went back to school five years ago at some point somewhere I p- figured out that you know one time I tried saying I don't know what you mean what does that word mean you know I, I don't think I'd ever asked anybody what a word meant you know? um, or I don't understand what you're saying um and God, it was such an incredible relief. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't have to know everything. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it, it's like it's this lie that you're this very subtle lie that I'm go, going around like, I I know. Oh yeah, I know about. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. Oh yeah, sure. Right. You know, constant <laughs> like thing. And I've just, I mean, I've used that as this tremendous empowering thing. I mean, I still forget. Of course, I still do that uh, in lots of subtle ways, but. I also have learned to, to not do that, and I, you know, in certain like math classes, I just insisted. Okay, I wanted. I'm going to learn exactly how this is done, and, and wow, just incredibly uh, useful tool. And every time I do it, I always have that. I because I'm always like holding this thing, and I'm going, okay, I'm not going to ask it. And then I go, oh wait, no, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? And 
there's also something that happens because the person who's talking, then, especially if it's one-on-one, feels like affirmed in some way because I'm interested and I really want to know what they're saying and, mm-hmm. and then they're forced to express it more clearly and communication gets deeper and we're both learning it's really really marvelous mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. you know uplifting in a, you know, in such a uh, paradoxical way mm-hmm. that's great and it brings it to a new, new level of honesty for the other person too yeah, yeah. it's a, it's like it's, there's this paradox that is it when we're around people that we don't know, we like to show ourselves as being more than who we are, and it often gets in the way. And we're around people who really know us, and we can just be our uh, ourselves in all our glory and all our uh, unglory. That our friends, they we they love us, and part of the reason that they do is you can is that you're so genuine. So it's you're doing. You're doing just the thing that keeps people away when you let go of that uh, that authenticity to to get yourself a bit more accepted. It's this incredible paradox. This talk was given by James Barris at Insight Meditation Society on April 1, 1993. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed Audio Archive. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.